What's the danger of failing to apply wisdom? That's the question we're discussing today on The Hero of the Story, presented by The Gospel Project. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of The Hero of the Story, a podcast to help you focus on the gospel in every area of your life and ministry. I'm Aaron Armstrong, the brand manager for The Gospel Project, and with me as always is Brian Dembozik, our managing editor. All right, Brian, this is a big subject that we're dealing with here, this question of what is the danger of failing to apply wisdom? We're a little bit on, the, maybe we're a little bit on the nose in in that because I mean, but that's really what we see yeah. in the text right from the get-go. So let's walk through some of the major beats of this passage. Where where does it fall in the Bible's narrative? What are we seeing happening in 1 Kings 11 and 12? Well, we are picking up the account at the end of Solomon's life. The, these are the the waning years, if you will, of, of his, his reign and his life in general, um, and transitioning to Rehoboam, his son reign that begins in verse or chapter 12. So what what we have here is we we will see looking back at Solomon who started so well. Um, again, thinking back to when God asked him what he wanted and he asked for wisdom. What I mean, what a spot on answer. And, and to me that already demonstrates some wisdom mm-hmm. and that he recognized he didn't have enough wisdom to lead God's people well. So he started well. Um, and then, as we see here in chapter 11, it just all falls down around him because of his sinful, um, foolish decisions. And then that transitions to Rehoboam, who begins his reign, and he he just is full of folly right out of the gate. So we're in that window. And, of, mm-hmm. of course, we know as we think about redemptive history, this is the hinge between the united monarchy and the divided kingdom. Yeah. Uh, so this is a really critical two chapters in terms of understanding the, the big story arc of Scripture, of seeing how God's people went from being you know, led by the judges mm-hmm. to these three uh, kings who each reigned for about 40 years. Now we're about to enter this really dark. Uh, many people believe this is about to become the darkest period of history for Israel. Even some would argue, and I might agree, even darker than the captivities that would come because you just see their sinfulness, their their depravity on display over and over. They're, they're led by so many bad kings. Right. Um, and then it's driving, as I just said, it's driving toward the captivity, which others would see as, as even darker. Right. Well, and it, I mean, it is one of those difficult things, right, where it's like this this whole period of time is – you could almost argue that really the the reign of David and the reign and most of the reign of Solomon that those were these unusual bright spots in yeah a lot of people uh, see David's reign as the golden age yeah really and and there's a degree to which even more so with Solomon yeah. really although he's the most although David is set up as you know from a human perspective Israel's greatest king he is the standard bearer but Solomon was wiser. He wasn't a man of war, at least initially. He wasn't in conflict with, in major conflict with most of the neighboring kingdoms or anything like this. You know, what we see in, um, if I remember correctly, First Kings 10-ish, is that there's just this throwaway line that there was so much silver in, um, in, in Israel at the time that basically it just was littering the streets worthless. Um, this this picture of basically if there was an idea, if there was ever a vision of heaven on earth, 
um, being, you know, being made by human beings, this was as close as it could get um, from their perspective. And yet it all went to pot. (laughs) Yes, it did. And and Solomon expanded the kingdom to its largest extent. Yep. Um, as you said, I mean, this is just yeah. David's reign and then into Solomon's reign would have been the heyday, and and I'm sure the Israelites were thinking, all right, this is it. We we are driving toward you know what has been long promised to us, and then the rug gets pulled out from under them because of one man's sin. Mm-hmm. And so this is this is why this is an important conversation for us to have today about this. Right, absolutely. So so thinking about that, um, thinking about the questions that we should be asking as we are um, reading and studying this passage, um, I mean, we've asked the question that at the outset, really, what's the danger of failing to apply wisdom? So how do we see Solomon and then Re- uh, Rehoboam failing to apply wisdom? As we've, we've talked about before, God gave Solomon this amazing wisdom. Uh, he exercised wisdom. We see this, of course, with the story of, of the two women arguing over the baby and so forth. Mm-hmm. And you read the book of Proverbs, much of which Solomon wrote. You read Ecclesiastes, as we've talked about. And you just look at the, the wisdom that Solomon had. Um, and even in Ecclesiastes, you see him recognize the, f- the foolishness of trying to find meaning in things apart from God. Mm-hmm. And yet, what does he do? At the end of his life, he appears to search for meaning in things apart from God. And not only things apart from God, things that are contrary to God, like marrying, oh, plenty of women. Yes. And not even being satisfied with marrying plenty of women, having a large concubine of even more women. Right. Was and it was it seven hundred concubines and three hundred wives? It was something, something like, like that. that. It was it was just craziness. Yeah. Um yeah that's 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 not gonna be a harmonious household. No. And um, so you think, all right, you know, that is so foolish. How can somebody so wise make such a foolish decision to do that. And then that, of course, just ripples over into him practicing idolatry. Yeah. That these women led him astray. And so you just take a, a look and you, you say, wait a minute, this it's absurd, Solomon. You are so wise. What you warned us against, you're now doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, of course, would be able to say, in truth, um, if we understand wisdom as applied knowledge, well, Solomon did not even act wisely at the end of his reign. No, of course not. He, he turned away from the wisdom God gave him right. because he was not living. He was not exercising. Right. And one of those, those uh, elements of wisdom that God gave is actually found in Deuteronomy 17, um, starting at verse 14. Um, there is this, there are this, there's this list of rules there that are specifically for Israel's kings. And which is interesting because they were, these were given to the people long before they ever had a king, um, and so this this just shows the the foresight of of God, the wisdom of God in giving these commands to them. But it was you know the king the kings of Israel were not to. Um, you know, accumulate for themselves much wealth. They were not to have many wives. Um, a natural implication of that would be um, many, by the way, is more than one. <laughs> exactly. Um, let's just let's just get that out of the way. One is enough. <laughs> many is one point anything after. <laughs> yes, exactly. One one and a half. One and still you know, too many. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> nope, just one singular. 
is enough. Um, but much you know, wealth. Hold on, let's pause there yeah, for a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Solomon also had the example of scripture. You know, he could he knew what happened to Abraham mm-hmm. with Hagar. Yeah. You know, he he looked back at these accounts that already existed that that would have been known to him. And you can see every time we see polygamy in scriptures, it leads to problems. Yeah. Yeah, there's no one who has a happy, healthy no. home life who's a polygamist in Scripture. Yet Solomon thought he would be the exception to that. Sure. Well, hundreds like, of times. But I mean, but I mean, really, think about that. Think about that. Just how often are we like that? It's like we we know what's going to happen to someone else, and it's like, but we always think. Uh, but I think I'll be different. I think that I can get yeah. away with this. So we're getting ahead of ourselves. But we it do- are. It does we make are. you wonder. Solomon apparently had nobody in his life who could speak into him. It seems to be. It seems to be the case. But uh, but let's keep going. So okay. he had he he had many horses. He had many wives. He had more money than anyone knew what to do with. Um, and all of those things were explicitly prohibited in Scripture. Um, and so that's what we talk about. That's what, that's one of those key things to remember when we say that, that Solomon was failing to live wisely because he was failing to apply the knowledge that he had been given in scripture. These were not unknown things to him. He knew them well. Um, and so, and yet he just said, I'm going to do this anyway. Um, but every single one of those he broke, he, um, increasingly became cruel to, uh, to his labor force. And it's especially important to note that his labor force was largely the people of Israel themselves. So the man who asked this wonderful question at the beginning of his, of his reign, of God, where God appeared to him or appeared to him in a dream and or spoke to him in a dream and said, ask anything you want and I will give it to you. Anything at all. And the thing he asks for is give me wisdom to rule these people well. Best thing he could have asked for. It connotes a care world. for the people. Absolutely. It's like this is a guy who at the beginning loved his people, wanted to do well, and more importantly, loved his God. And he squandered it. Yeah, this is why Solomon is often using as an example of, of how finishing well is more important than starting well. Yeah. You know, you, you hear pastors a lot of time preach rightly so and, and use Solomon as this example of, hey, it, it's not how you start. It, it's important how you start. Right. But ultimately, it's how you finish. And here's yeah. a man who started so well. Yeah. And he, he failed so miserably. Right. And then we see the consequences of his failure in his son. Mm-hmm. Um, when his son becomes king, he's presented with this choice. And and so he's at a, this fork in the road in, in chapter 12 where the question is where, where people come to him and say, if you ease the burden that your father placed on these people, they'll be yours forever. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> All he had to do. And that's basically, yeah, they, they asked him, they said, hey, you know, my paraphrase, hey, you know, Rehoboam, loved your dad, loved Solomon, great king. You know, however, he really wore us out. 
uh, you know, he taxed us. That's how he paid for this great city we're living in. He worked us hard. We're just tired. We're worn out. Uh, you know, we're spent. Can you go easy on us? And if you go easy on us, man, we're going to love you and we will follow you, you know, wherever you want to lead us. And that's the offer they made. And it, it's a reasonable offer. And, and Rehoboam gets counsel from the elders to say, hey, do it. I mean, if you do this, you're going to start with this win. It's a great leadership principle to start with a big win. Mm-hmm. And you will, I mean, it, it, go for it. And then he goes and gets information. He, he gets some other advice. He gets some other advice from his peers. Yes. Uh, and they say, wait a minute. If you do this, you're going to be a pushover. And they're going to just you know, take advantage of you. You need to double down. And that's, that's what he does, of course. He doubled right. down and says, no, if you think my dad was tough, you haven't seen anything yet. And that's where they, the people say, well, fine, we're out of here. Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, to your tents and have fun, have fun, guys. Good luck with that. And so Rehoboam is left with, interestingly, he's not left without a kingdom. Because that's what God had promised. To exactly. Exactly. And if you look back in chapter 11, God says, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you. But because of your father, David, uh, I would say because of the Davidic covenant. Yeah. Because I've promised something to David, um, we're going to leave part of the kingdom. Right. And that's actually a good transition point for us into the next question that we should be asking ourselves, which is ultimately, how does this passage point us to Jesus? How does it help us see the gospel more clearly? And I think one of the things that we see right away is just the effect of sin on humanity, that it, that Sin doesn't just have personal ramifications. It doesn't just affect me alone. It always affects my relationships with other people, with the community as a whole, and ultimately with the world. That may sound grandiose or, you know, even egotistical when we look at ourselves and we think, really, my sin is going to affect the world? It's going to, it affects everybody. Yeah, because that's the way God designed it. It's not right. arrogant, nor is it arrogant to suggest that our faithfulness can be used by God to impact the world. Right. It's the reality of, of how God designed things. He did not design us to live in a vacuum. Right. He designed us to be in community. Right. And what we do impacts the community. And, and we see that so clearly here because Solomon's sin not only impacts Rehoboam and that next generation, but it ripples through generation after generation leading into the captivity. I mean, enormous consequences, long-term consequences. Absolutely. And this is why we cannot be hiding in the church. Some people will intentionally choose to go to a numerically larger church for the purpose of hiding so that no one can see them, so that no one can expect them to serve. Because there's already, in quotation marks, lots of people serving and lots of people involved. And, I mean, this is why statistically we see that the larger the church, there's an inversion in terms of how many people are actually engaged in real healthy community. Um, and that's that's a problem that we need to, that we need to work on in our, in our churches, regardless of size. We can't have an individualistic faith. We see this with we see this with men in particular that you know the the epidemic that is that is killing men today is not heart disease, it's loneliness. And how many men actually have friends? 
How many have friends who are Christian? How many have friends who are non-Christian to be genuine friends, but also to share the gospel with? We just need community and we can't escape it. And if we need community, that means that we, um, that we cannot escape the fact that we have a responsibility to that community. Yeah. But that's not all it, all that it reminds us of. Is it? I mean, you no. you hit on one piece of it yeah, just I, a moment I, ago. I think there, there's a, a, a double-sided um, coin, if you will, that you also see here. Not only how we need to take sin seriously, that every sin matters, as we're just talking about. And and sometimes we fall into that that trap of thinking, well, you know, it's just a small sin. It's, it's how harmful can it be? Or as you were intimating a minute ago, it's, you know, it's a sin that nobody will know about. It won't impact anybody but me. We need to... We need to understand the weightiness of sin um, because that weightiness of sin is what prompted the gospel. It's what prompted Christ to lay down his life for that sin. All sin is grievous. All sin is weighty. All sin can echo down. But at the same time, we also need to run quickly to God's grace and his goodness and his love. And we see that here because Solomon's sin had consequences, but also we see God's reminder that he is faithful, that he had made promises. He'd, he'd promised David that a deliverer would come through his line, that that kingdom would endure. He had promised going all the way back, Abraham, and you, you trace that mm-hmm. uh, all the way back to Eden even, and you see this promise that God had made, and he's going to make good on that promise. Yeah. And so we see that God is acting in grace even to Solomon. Solomon did not deserve to have a remnant of the kingdom spared, but God gives because of God's grace and his, his goodness. And so that's a reminder as well that while we take sin seriously, we also recognize that God's grace is even larger than our sin, that God's grace echoes down through eternity even more loudly than our sin might. Um, and so we find comfort in that. Yeah, absolutely. And one other thing that I think that it reminds us of is, um, is that we don't put our hope, we can't put our hope in other people. We can respect, we can appropriately admire, but we have to remember that every single one, even the best, fall short of God's standards. And that's the key thing to remember is that we're not talking about um, comparison to one another. A horizontal standard is not what God scores against. God looks at his own standard and he says, this is what is right. And we find all of that in God's word. And no one meets that except for one person, which is Jesus, who is God. We need to look to him. We need to, we, and we put our hope in him. We put our trust in him. We, and we better honor the leaders that God gives us when we remember that they're just people too. And that's what we see through the United Monarchy. It kind of reminds us of the book of Judges as well. You see, all right, we start with Saul. Here's a guy who looked the part. He looked like the king that the people needed and wanted, and he failed. Yeah. Here you have David who starts out as a hero, a victorious, I mean, he beats Goliath and and he seems to have the right heart and he did have a, a heart that was good but it wasn't enough right and even David failed murder adulterer and then you have Solomon all right here's a guy who's wise well maybe that's what we need we need somebody wise enough to lead us yeah David was pretty wise but maybe this is it 
but he still messed but he's it up. Like, so you look in, and you you look at those kings of the United Monarchy side by side by side, as you're saying that horizontal, and you recognize no, you can keep that horizontal love, love line going out. Mm-hmm. You know, what's the next thing? We need a king that you know picking another characteristic. No, it's still going to be insufficient. Yeah, because you don't need a horizontal. You need that vertical. You need. Christ, the perfect king. So it's a great, and again, it echoes the book of Judges, very similar. Mm-hmm. It's just a, a great reminder to us that, that no, man, yeah, leaders are a gift, and we ought to love and revere our leaders, as you just shared, but we don't put our hope in them. So let's think about this passage from the perspective of a leader. So regardless of, of where they might serve in the church, if they're a small group leader, they're teaching a class, they're in student ministry, they're in kids' ministry, whatever that is, what guidance can we offer them in working through this passage with, with someone else? Well, one that we've, we've hit on some, and we'll just clarify it again in, in closing with this question, is, is we need to make sure that we have other people in our lives speaking into our lives. Mm-hmm. It seems like that's what Solomon lacked. Um, and you can say, well, of course, because he was the king. Who's going to go up to the king? Well, you know what? The, he should have given somebody that privilege. He should have had somebody given them the freedom, invited them and say, hey, you need to speak to me what I need mm-hmm. to hear. And so no matter where you are in a leadership level, we all need to have that. We need to have somebody who knows it's safe for them to say the hard things to us that need to be said for our good and the good of the people we're leading over. So that's one really important takeaway that we can find here. If if you don't have somebody in mind right now, then that needs to be addressed as soon as you can. Yeah, absolutely. And another thing that I think that we we should be addressing regardless of age, and this is an appropriate thing, especially with kids, is how carefully do we consider the consequences of our actions? So, I mean, the, the short answer, of course, with kids is they usually don't because they're so in the moment. And and I get that because, I mean, I was one once upon a time. Um, it seems like so long ago, but uh, um, but I was. And when I teach, when I'm teaching in in kids ministry at my church, um, these are the things that we're we're working on with them to help them remember. Um, but all, but not just as a, well, you better be good because, you know, kind of thing. We don't we don't want to let anyone be considering this this question outside of the context of the gospel, that even when we fail to consider the consequences of our actions, which we all do, regardless of how old we are, there's always grace and hope and mercy and forgiveness for us through Christ. And that when we sin, when we fall down, when we, you know, when whatever happens, we can turn to him and he will forgive us. When, when, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, says First, first John uh, 1, 9. And that is, is one of those things that we need to appropriately, lovingly beat into our own heads again and again and again. So... Uh, Brian, I think that's a good place for us to wrap up our conversation today. Thanks for thanks for talking about this. Yeah, it was okay. a good conversation. Yeah, this was helpful. And of course, thank you for listening to today's episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we hope you'll leave a sincere five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. And for more resources to help you focus your ministry on the gospel, please visit gospelproject.com. Thank you.